Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Today I'm with Matteo Maestri. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. You have a very fascinating company that is producing a type of vehicle that most of us are not so familiar with, but I think very soon they'll be all over all over the streets. What does your company do and how did you get into that? Uh, my company has the, the purpose to improve the life of people by improving their uh, freedom in mobility. I mean, mobility is complicated now in a lot of cities because the, the, these cities are crowded. And so all of us inside these cities spend time locked into traffic jam and, and looking for parkings. What we wanted to do with, the, with our company and with this vehicle and the service connected is to give back this time to these people with a vehicle, Biro, that can be parked as easily as a moped, but at the same time protecting you by weather conditions, allowing you to carry things. And so the littlest electric urban vehicle in the market with the purpose to uh, use it as easily as a moped, saving a lot of time, eliminating this feeling of prison that you have when you are stuck in a lane and when you are not finding a parking, and in the same time, eliminating a little bit of stress. This is the mission, the purpose. Everybody that's probably listening to the podcast knows something about this industry, like new mobility, a transition towards more sharing and lighter, probably electrified vehicles. But it's an abstract concept. So we see, of course, the kick scooters on the streets, the e-bike boom. Mopeds are really growing a lot also in, in Germany at the moment, new launches and expansions. But you have something in between that and a, and a car. Can you describe what your vehicle looks like? It looks like a four-wheel scooter, let me say like that. Four wheels, a steering wheel, but it's a scooter because it's... Uh, one meter width and uh, one meter 75 long. So uh, you can park it exactly as you park the scooter. You just said that uh, a lot of people are using mopeds. When you buy a moped, it's not because you like going around with the moped. You buy it because it's practical, because it's easy to use, because you save time, because you park it everywhere. This is the reason for which you buy it. If we give you the possibility to do the same things with something that is covered, more robust, more stable. We solve you the same problem, but with a vehicle that gives you more. I think a lot of people have associations when they, when they hear that of maybe a golf cart. I saw your vehicle in person in Amsterdam. I thought it actually looks very cool. It looks very rugged. It's like almost very shrunk down by Range Rover. That's maybe exaggerated, but it looks like it could be more altering than, than you might um, expect. Who designs this vehicle for you? Is that something you do in-house? How does production take place? Are you doing some of this work in Italy or are you working with a lot of suppliers around the world? How did this vehicle come about? Uh, we did the design internally. The vehicle is produced and developed uh, in Italy, close to Venice, where we have the plants. And it's done like that because my family's company produces cabins, safety cabins for tractors, harvesters, ground-moving machines, and all those 
machines that are needed for heavy works. So uh, doing uh, safety cabins means doing something that at the same time must be very, very, very light and transparent, allowing the driver to have the maximum visibility as possible, but at the same time being very, very, very robust, strong, unbreakable. This is the know-how that uh, brought me to develop this kind of vehicle. And so that's the design part. What about the manufacturing assembly? Does that also take place in Northern Italy? Yes. Yeah, everything here, yes. Very cool. And for those that maybe haven't noticed, you, you call it the, the biro, that's the, the vehicle, but the company is called Estrima. And that's a variation of your last name as well, right? Yes, it is. My name is Maestri, 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 Maestri. <laughs> that's that's um, really cool. How did you launch into the market? Where are you at at the moment? And like, what segments are you focusing on? Are you trying to make that a consumer brand so people buy directly? Or are you seeing that more for like a commercial use, use initially? How do you go to market with a new product? Uh, we produced and delivered more, a little bit more than 4,000 vehicles. The um, target until now has been end users or privates. But at the same time, we see that the, the segment corporate is very interesting because there are a lot of companies or bars or restaurants or shops that need a news that is a little bit more professional. Third uh, target that is growing and growing and growing starts to be relevant for us is the target of uh, renting and sharing. Because now we started to sell fleets to, um, uh, for some sharing projects and renting projects. And I think that in the future would be a very big part of our business. I think that's a very fascinating prospect because you described initially, you touched upon the yeah, impact of weather on, these, on this two-wheeler sharing. And typically they are subject to a lot of seasonality. It's definitely the limitation of the two-wheeler. And so you have different cabin situation. You can haul around more luggage. How do you think this rollout will take place? So you're talking 4,000 produced vehicles so far. How big is this industry, let's say, for these lights? How, how do you even call the category in your own words? They are called quadricycles mm -hmm. or LEV, light uh, electric vehicles. And how big roughly do you think this market is in Europe at the moment? And where do you think that will be in a few years? What's the trajectory that you imagine this can take? The market of this vehicle, um, the target of this vehicle are the people that uh, live in the city, that have to move inside the city and have several appointments, meetings, and normal activities that there are inside the cities and inside the traffic. So as the dimensions of the cities are improving, as the number of parkings is uh, decreasing, as the limitation of circulation in these cities are increasing, I think that this market that is very big, because we are talking about something like the 50% of the population now that live in the city, is always also increasing. When you are inside the city in the at the morning, when you have to decide where to go, at the same time, you have to program your logistic and your personal logistic and your, and your, and your way of uh, transportations. Because if you go in certain destinations, you can use the car. 
If there is no parking, or if there is traffic, you can use the moped. But if it's raining and if you have to carry things, maybe you can use a taxi or you can use a metro or you can use a bus. The fact is that you have to organize your logistic depending on the weather condition and on your destination. We wanted to create a vehicle that can eliminate all this uh, program. You can use it within the city for going wherever you want at any uh, weather condition. When you mention this kind of versatility, a vehicle that can cover all these use cases, eliminate some of the complexity, that's always great for consumers. What's like a maximum speed on the vehicles that you are allowed to let them run at the moment? We choose to have two speeds. One is 45 kilometers per hour. And the other one is 60 kilometers per hour. Uh, we don't want more because we want to stay focused on the center of the cities in which a higher speed is now needed. And how do you commercialize them at the moment? So is that yeah, a purchase or do you somehow offer a subscription? In this, we are not so revolutionary. Uh, you can buy it or you can a long time rent it. And in several cities, you can have also short time rent. What's the, what's the list price for, for buying it? Yes, It depends because we are, there are several uh, models. Uh, the, the most basic one starts from 8,000 uh, euro up to uh, 12, 13, 14. So it's already um, at a price point of, for example, a Volkswagen up, let's say a very basic small car or a Nordwinger and so on. But then yes. with like convenience that is yeah, more versatile for a city use case, maybe in the future more and more also a solution that's allowed where others aren't allowed. What do you think in terms of market size, kind of going one step and back there? I think it's very fascinating to try to imagine how that, um, where that is today really and how that might evolve. We're a little bit closer to the uh, e-mopeds where we're also uh, doing some co-development and we're basically seeing that a lot in the sharing case. And, and so we're kind of surprised how small that market is in Europe at the moment compared to China, for example. And um, we're thinking it's more in the, Tens of thousands, but definitely below 50,000 e-mopeds per year um, or last year sold, sold in Europe. Probably this kind of vehicle category also in the thousands. What, what would you say? Like maybe 10,000 or so? Five to 10,000 uh, last year at the moment? I think, I think uh, at the end, I think that the potential market is hundreds of thousands. The potential in, this, in the future, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not a market that will evolve. The need is there. Uh, the most of the people don't know the existence of this sector and this kind of vehicle. Um, you don't realize how much useful it is until you use it for some days. And then you realize how much time you save and how, how easier is your mobility. Immobiles don't give really something more to standard, standard mobiles because it's the same vehicle. On the, the motor is different, but the use is the same. I'm not so focused on the fact that we are electric. I'm focused on the fact that we are little, easy to use, transparent, with a removable battery, with removable doors, etc. So if I focus on that, there is something more that we can give to the people. And this kind of need is always there in the market. And removable battery means that if you are... Uh, out of charge, you remove a battery and you charge it. 
in a normal plug in every room of every building in the world. Super fascinating what you're describing. Basically, you say, okay, of course, this market already exists today. Roughly 50% of the people in Europe live in cities, probably a market of hundreds of thousands of vehicles. Today, probably extremely much smaller. I would say, I don't know, maybe 5,000, 5 to 10,000 so of these type of vehicles sold last year in Europe. Who are competitors for this market? Like who will have market share? Are these also other European players? There's a Micolino from Switzerland, for example. Or is this really going to be probably dominated by Chinese players who are already selling much higher quantity in China. How do you think this market will evolve in the coming years and who will play the biggest role? Uh, really, I, I, I don't know. The fact is that is now no one does it. Uh, neither Microlino, neither other producer for quadricycles. So what we would like to do with our plan now is that we dominate these markets. And how do you... Uh, like what kind of funding needs are you looking at to do that? Are you like investing into ramping up production yes. or maybe you can already maybe kind of outsource that towards your family business or others? I know, for example, well, it was also public local motors earlier this year had significant funding. So it's a different concept, of course, but it's also somebody who's trying to bring a somewhat different new vehicle type into the market. And they are talking about immense funding needs for the development and um, even though it's outsourced production. How are you tackling this side of the business to scale up? Do you see investors already, or yes, how are you looking we at have, uh, we, uh, we have um, we have a scaling up uh, plan that we are that we are following. I just increased uh, my shareholders last year, and now we will increase with a bigger funding uh, within next uh, twelve months, let me say. And then we have we have several higher steps. So there is a funding a funding plan. Mm -hmm. Are you going for VCs or a different type of investor? Probably given the also timeline that you're looking at. We have several ways. And so far it's, or maybe it's not public, I'm not sure, but uh, so far it's private people or also some institutional investors or strategics even? Both solutions. Okay. To what extent do you think your vehicle that you have now or that you direction you, you plan to evolve will be different from the vehicles in this category that are um, coming from China? And how are you going to differentiate that? Because I think when we look at the industry from an OEM perspective, at first there was the problem of yeah, more sharing. So maybe you don't want to be behind the ride-hailing providers, behind the sharing operators using your vehicle and demanding a discount. But now you are even more radical. You're saying we don't need to buy these vehicles anymore. We can uh, use a different type of vehicle in the city. And there is um, there are new players coming into the market. You are one of the new players, but there are also there are very highly capitalized, already high production volume, uh, millions of units per year, billions in market cap players with these types of vehicles from China. How how are you going to differentiate between those old incumbents and between those uh, newer players that are coming to the market from China? Being fast in innovations. I mean, if we were producing a vehicle, always the same, maybe copying another vehicle existing in the market, we could have a problem of uh, defending our position. But if the character of the company is to be innovative in the concept of the vehicle, in the concept of, the, of all the things that are composing the vehicle and the service connected 
the strategy decision is to be fast in innovating. And we demonstrated it. We are the only one with removable battery in a trolley. We have removable doors. The 100% of the vehicle that we produce are provided with uh, hardware and native software to share it. So you can share it with your family or with your friends. The motor is inside the wheels. Uh, the vehicle is made with this very strong and robust uh, uh, frame. So if there is something that is not missing in, in our company is the speed in finding new solutions that are expression of the needs of the market. And I think that this is the competitive strength. Mm -hmm. So not be big and defend your position, but be fast in changing and give it to the market what the market is asking. You mentioned as one of the innovations, the P2P sharing functionality that most vehicles don't have at the moment. Some people are are beginning to experiment with it. Also, I think Mini, for example, now offers this, not just in, in Spain, but like across. But how many people are really using that? Do you see that from your own users? Do you have any data about that, whether people are actually then yeah, not giving a physical key away, but somehow using this sharing functionality within their um, network? Uh, yes, uh, let me say that peer, the pure peer-to-peer -peer concept is something that is a little bit extreme. I think it, it has great possibility to be one of the leading future solutions for the vehicles in the market. But now, not so many people would like to buy a car or a vehicle and share it with everyone else in the world. But there are some situations in which sharing is completely normal, for example within your family or your friends. Some other situation in which it would be very well appreciated, for example, sharing with your neighbors or people that live in your buildings or your colleagues at work. So I really do believe that community sharing is a, a need that is already existing, but also thinking littler, sharing inside families Is something, that is something that every one of us does, but with a little bit of complications. So giving the keys, knowing where the vehicle is, knowing which is the remaining range of the batteries and so on. With what we offer, we eliminate all these problems. What do you think will be the biggest accelerator for the uh, rollout of your type of vehicle? Like what would have to happen maybe on the technology side or on a regulation side or what's like a milestone that you are maybe waiting for that when this happens, the growth will pick up even more. Is there some, some things that you're still kind I of waiting think, for? Uh, I don't think there is really a silver bullet uh, for that. I think that uh, the process that is increasing uh, continuously with various aspects uh, drives us in the situation of uh, increasing and increasing the market. Traffic inside the city is increasing. And there are a lot of cities that are trying to stop it, but at the same time, those cities are getting bigger and bigger. So even if they are more, they adapt uh, some solution that are more clever, at the same time, they are growing and growing and growing, and they won't stop growing never. And this means that moving around the cities, it will be always complicated and probably more complicated. What do you think are the chances for a traditional OEM, maybe Volkswagen or any other Fiat to produce a vehicle like that? 
stop thinking the vehicle and start thinking the customer. That's the biggest transition that would have to happen. And you think that's likely to take place in the next five years? <laughs> it, it's, it's taking place, yes. Taking place already. And this is the reason for which a lot of services companies, like sharing companies, are really having a lot of success. Not economic, but social success. What do you mean by that when you say social success? People like sharing. Now there is a little problem that is not sustainable for the companies because there is, I think, no one company that, that are sharing that has good, uh, good economical results. But this is absolutely a solution that everyone likes. This is a big change. And this means that people need it. That's very interesting. You think people need it, people like it, but you yeah, I think that many operators are struggling to run their business profitably. You are, as a manufacturer with already like a family background, also experience in the space, probably running profitably, I assume, for the most part for a long time in, in the traditional business. What role does government then play when cities want these solutions, but operators can't be profitable? Do you think that your vehicle will be sort of used as a component of public transport in the future where um, maybe they own buses, right. but they also own fleets of these? Yes, I think so. For example, we, we, we made a pilot with Get Around uh, uh, in Rotterdam yeah. where we put 120 bureaux. And it, it works. I mean, uh, it's a solution that for move from A to B inside the city is better. For cover a distance inside the city and to be fast in parking, there isn't any other vehicle so efficient as a bureau. Where I think that now people are focused on be fast, not lose time in the traffic and not lose time in parking. So I really do think that uh, um, um, public transportation, like sharing with vehicles like bureau, will be something for us very relevant in our, in our future business. And this is also what all those companies are telling to us. You mentioned the pilot that you ran with Getaround in Rotterdam, 120 euros. 2019 was the launch of that pilot. What were you trying to prove or to learn in this pilot? How we were reacting with this vehicle, uh, uh, what we have to modify in this vehicle to adapt to this kind of use, and we have all our answers. Is there something you can share that kind of surprised you from when you first had the vehicle in sharing at scale like this and that you learned what needs to be modified? Uh, no, just something uh, related to the, the use of the vehicle because uh, people that use it for, for sharing take less care of the vehicle. So it's just a question of uh, modifying little things that uh, were thought for the end user, private end user, adapt them to... Uh, a more intensive and less gentle use. Uh, what happened to all also bike providers uh, in, mm -hmm. in the market? We didn't find nothing completely new in this kind of use. Is there some operator at the moment in Europe or somewhere in the world that has a larger fleet of your vehicles in sharing? No, in this moment, but, but yeah, we have several projects on, on the blocks ready, ready, ready to start. In like free-floating sharing or more station-based, like around apartment buildings or so? I would say both. The first is more for public transportation spread around all the city. Mm -hmm. The second is more community sharing. So maybe not A to B, but more A to A. 
Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, new world. And I think that in most cities in Europe and you are currently walking around, you don't see them yet. It's like an idea that only people in the industry kind of maybe heard about more or less. But like I mentioned towards the beginning, in some very progressive places like Amsterdam, it's already a common site. And I think, yeah, it will be super available. And two-wheelers are had this boom time, but they have their limitations, especially around seasonality or... Uh, different situations like having luggage or needing more space. And um, this is going to be a quite common site in cities. What made you choose Amsterdam as another city after Turin? And how are you distributing the vehicle in, in other places where you don't have your own physical presence somehow? What um, led us uh, choosing Amsterdam is finding the right partner because mm -hmm. we find them a partner and friend that is well working. And uh, so the, the city has this kind of need. I find the right partner to do that. And so this is the reason. For, and, and he did a very good work. And so, um, and so this is the first and most important ingredient. In cities where we don't are directly present with a monobrand shop, We have some dealers and also somewhere else we have some persons. In our plan, we will be present at least in 25 cities uh, all over Europe for the moment with a dedicated shop uh, in the very central part of the city. By when is that plan? Five years, we will complete with, with these 25 shops. So in, in five years, we will find everyone of them. We just uh, are creating another two now, one in Rome and one in Paris that would be Will, will, will be born in a few months. When you have partners for distribution like that, where do they typically come from? Are these like former or even current like car dealers, no. car dealerships, no. or are they more no, coming no. from the bike uh, uh, no, industry segment, no. or where do they come from? Other sectors. I mean, car dealers, bike dealers, and vehicle dealers have a mindset that sometimes is a little bit rigid. We found uh, much more good results with uh, partners that come from other sectors and wanted to distribute this way. How would you describe this uh, way that works better for you? Somehow the, the old way of selling a vehicle doesn't work for you, but how is the... No, this no, way no, 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 the old way works, okay. but, but the comparison with the vehicle makes different the work of selling, uh -huh. let me say. Uh, here... There must be, there must be a very, very close relationship within the seller and the, and the, and the customer mm -hmm. because it has a lot of needs. For example, our target customers don't want to lose time to make maintenance, to go to the shop. So it's something that this distance has to be covered by the sellers. And so we find better results with the people that have good relationship that uh, have a um, relation with customers before selling and especially after selling. This is a little bit different from the car sector and the motorcycle sector. It's a little bit different. It's more something closer to the services uh, sector. I think you're very, uh, let's say, polite when you say it's a little bit different. I think that, I think that um, yeah, I'm not a dealership expert, but in my like few personal examples, a uh, huge difference. I think that now here around Hamburg, when you like in your late 30s and you are interested maybe in learning more about a BMW, you have to 
watch it because the dealership might close at 2 p.m. on Saturday. And if you show up, if you manage to show up on time, then you uh, kind of have to convince the dealer that you're actually serious so that it's worth for him to invest the time to actually show you something and so on. It's like definitely a different like relationship to yeah, kind of the flexible needs of clients. And uh, what's a good example for you that worked well? Where, where did people come from, for example, if not car, car dealerships? What is, what's an example for somebody that has this mindset that was a successful partner for you then? Some kind of sellers want to keep the relationship with the person. Mm -hmm. Not for the precise scope or purpose to sell and sell again, just to keep it. This is the way of selling. Mm -hmm. okay. And then so, um, it's more a consultative kind of approach and yes, you like may, to see maybe. the person and maybe a sale yes. will happen, maybe it won't, but eventually, of course, it will. And then yes. again in a few years. Kind of a longer-term yes. approach. Yes, but we always need this kind of relation with the person because the vehicle must be maintained because you have to buy some spare parts. But uh, let, let's try to think uh, what we would like to have. Let's try to be egoistic. If I have a vehicle, my dream is that sometimes people call me and say, hey, you have some problems with your vehicle. If you have, I'm coming there and solve them to you. <laughs> hey, How are, how are things going with your vehicle? Do you need something? If you need something, call me this to this mobile number, mm -hmm. okay? This is what I would like to have because in this way, I don't lose time. If I have to do maintenance, I would like to just write a message to, to my workshop and say, hey, I need the maintenance. Mm -hmm. And they reply, okay, no problem. Park your car, we'll take care of it. This is what I would like to have. Mm. And really... They're really trying to right. drive this like, customer centricity. You say, let's be egoistic, but also before it's like, what would they have to change as an OEM to deliver a vehicle? Like, and you're trying to drive that not only into the vehicle, but also the yeah, sales and after sales experience. And uh, it's, that's a lot. I, I think, don't well. have the structure. I don't, we don't, our company don't have the structure due to the dimensions and the number of fears of big car makers. So we are free to think what we want, of course. We don't, have, we don't have a big load under our back. And this gives us more flexibility. When in the future we will be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, who knows? Well, for the moment, we can, we can think like that. It's a very fascinating story. I think Elon Musk sometimes like, brags and he says that no new car company has been founded in the US like since Ford or something, since like many, many years. And I think that when we look at your company now, for example, there are new car companies popping up and sometimes initially beginning with a vehicle that not, not everybody recognizes what the actual value is un, un, until you're beginning to use it and you realize how much more radical the better it is, maybe not by the like sheer horsepower or like the impressive stance at first, but just in the use in the everyday. And I think that uh, companies like yours will play a huge future as people move towards more utility when it comes to mobility and less, let's say, status, for example. Just utility in cities and then the relationship to whoever is selling this to you or helping you to uh, cope with it afterwards. And I think that's a huge potential for making that much easier. It's really like a, like a process at the moment to get um, that organized. And it's not like WhatsApping your local dealer to find out what you need or make an appointment that way. 
It's a very fascinating story. I'm very glad that uh, yeah you took the time today. And I mentioned this when we were still offline in the beginning that traditionally we've been running this summit once a year in the fall where we bring a lot of people to Hamburg and then we, we try to exchange and learn from the industry. And we couldn't do that last year because of Corona. So we launched the podcast series to at least be able to talk to the people that we otherwise would have liked to see on stage. So this year we are more bullish again. We're, we've rented the location. We've send out the first invitation we're going to host again in October. And yeah, okay. I would love to also meet you in person then. It's been a fascinating first glimpse into what you're doing. I will be very happy to do that. Hamburg is fantastic, so Thank you. I like to come there also. Yeah, it is. It's a nice city. But it is a city where you do need the rain protection a lot, so I can yes. understand the arguments about that. Yes. <laughs> Thanks a lot for taking the time today, Matteo. Thank you.